Welcome to the PenPod podcast on hemodialysis. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Drs. Amr Bansal and Sid Shah for reviewing this material. The goals of this podcast are as follows. First, we will review the principles and physiology facilitating dialysis and ultrafiltration. Second, we will discuss basic parameters nephrologists consider when prescribing a dialysis treatment. Finally, we will consider several common complications that result from hemodialysis. Some of this content relies on material discussed in the Chronic Kidney Disease podcast. We recommend reviewing that podcast prior to listening. To begin, let us consider the following case. A 55-year-old patient with stage 5 CKD presents to nephrology clinic with several days of worsening nausea, vomiting, anorexia, and fatigue. Physical exam reveals a blood pressure of 145 over 73, peripheral edema, and a maturing left upper extremity arterial venous fistula, or AVF. Laboratory evaluation reveals a potassium of 6, a BUN of 176. The patient is thus admitted for placement of a temporary dialysis catheter and initiation of hemodialysis. During doc-to-doc, the admitting nephrologist mentions that the patient's first treatment will be two hours long, with 500 milliliters of ultrafiltration. Dialysis and Ultrafiltration Physiology The word dialysis means to split apart or to sieve. This describes the essence of dialysis. Use of a semipermeable membrane to facilitate selective diffusion of waste products out of the body while retaining beneficial metabolites and chemicals. Early demonstrations of dialysis use screens to separate urea and other solutes from solution, while peritoneal dialysis uses the peritoneum, a natural semipermeable membrane. Hemodialysis, the focus of this podcast, uses a dialyzer, a specialized chamber containing thousands of hollow fibers through which blood flows. A carefully crafted solution called dialysate bays the fibers, allowing for solute exchange between blood and dialysate across individual fibers. Note that blood and dialysate never come in direct contact, but rather interact through the semipermeable membrane of each hollow fiber. Regardless of the specifics of the dialyzer and dialysate, however, solute exchange occurs by the dual processes of diffusion and convection. Diffusion refers to the passive movement of solutes down their concentration gradients, from an area of higher concentration to an area of lower concentration. While several characteristics of the dialyzer membrane attenuate the net diffusion of solutes, solute flow from blood to dialysate, or from dialysate to blood, is largely dictated by the concentration gradient between blood and dialysate for each solute. Additionally, dialysate and blood flow in opposite directions within the dialyzer, resulting in countercurrent exchange. This countercurrent exchange offers more efficient diffusion as it maintains the concentration gradient and prevents equilibrium between blood and dialysate along the length of the dialyzer. Diffusion matters most for small molecules like potassium, urea, and glucose and is the main mechanism by which solute clearance from blood is achieved in hemodialysis. Convection refers to the passive movement of solutes along with fluid. Crudely, molecules are swept along or conveyed with fluid from one place to another. In dialysis, this occurs in a unidirectional fashion across the membrane from dialysate to blood. The dialysis machine can be programmed to lower the hydrostatic pressure of the dialysate relative to blood. This results in a net movement of serum fluid out of the blood in a process known as ultrafiltration, which will be explained momentarily. 
During this net movement of fluid out of the blood, salutes are thus swept along via convection. Convection relies on several variables similar to diffusion, but flow rates matter most in hemodialysis. As opposed to diffusion, convection matters more for middle molecules, such as vitamins, drugs, and small proteins. Additionally, convection plays a more important role in other renal replacement modalities beyond the scope of this podcast. Finally, during a hemodialysis session, a patient may undergo ultrafiltration. Ultrafiltration refers specifically to the removal of accumulated volume or fluid, namely water. As described, an increase in the hydrostatic pressure gradient between the blood and the dialysate drives plasma water from blood into dialysate. This can also be conceived as sucking fluid, or water, out of the patient's blood. The amount of pressure generated determines the amount of ultrafiltration, or volume removal, and thus the amount of water weight lost by the patient during ultrafiltration. To review, patients undergoing hemodialysis can be understood as actually undergoing two separate treatments. This treatment consists of solute removal, or dialysis, and volume removal, or ultrafiltration. Thus, a patient may receive one of three possible treatments. Dialysis alone without fluid removal, ultrafiltration alone without solute removal, or the combination of dialysis and ultrafiltration. This last treatment is what patients typically receive during intermittent or thrice-weekly hemodialysis, a combination of solute and fluid removal. Dialysis Parameters During dialysis, nephrologists prescribe a number of different parameters which affect the dose or strength of the dialysis treatment. For the sake of simplicity, we will concentrate on the most important of these parameters. Three factors mainly determine the dialysis dose. Blood flow, dialysate flow, and time, or the length of the dialysis session. Blood flow is the rate at which blood flows out of the patient, through the hollow fibers of the dialyzer, and into the patient again. This flow rate depends upon the type of vascular axis whether blood exits the patient via catheter or arterial venous fistula or graft, but has a relatively constant rate of 200 to 400 milliliters per minute. Thus, in an hour, a patient will cycle approximately 12 to 24 liters, or 3 to 6 times their circulating blood volume, through the dialyzer. Dialysate flow is the rate at which dialysate flows into the dialyzer, bays the hollow fibers, and then flows out of the dialyzer. In contrast to blood flow, Dialysate flow has a wide range of possible flow rates depending upon the clinical indication, from approximately 500 to 600 milliliters per minute. This range of flow rates significantly affects solute clearance. Faster flow rates permit faster solute clearance, as fresh dialysate quickly replaces old dialysate, better maintaining concentration gradients along the length of the dialyzer relative to slower dialysate flow rates. Finally, the time on the dialysis circuit also affects the dialysis dose and is related to the dialysate flow rates. Considering that hemodialysis must replace the entire clearance function of the kidneys, which continuously filter blood, it makes sense that longer treatments lead to more physiologic solute clearance. While a patient may theoretically remain on dialysis for any length of time, hemodialysis is typically designated as intermittent or continuous. Patients on intermittent hemodialysis achieve faster solute clearance, but may have more hemodynamic instability given the rapid removal of solutes and fluids. Conversely, patients on continuous dialysis modalities achieve slower solute clearance, but have gentler volume removal. As an aside, 
While the dialysate solution is carefully selected as well, simply remember that it consists of a slightly basic solution with a physiologic amount of sodium, calcium, glucose, and magnesium, a sub-physiologic amount of potassium, and no urea or phosphate. This allows for correction of metabolic acidosis and hyperkalemia, normalization of sodium and calcium, and the clearance of a variety of putative uremic toxins, which are not simply urea. Further rationale behind this formulation and its various permutations can be found by reviewing the CKD podcast. To review hemodialysis modalities thus far, there are two possible clearance approaches, solute clearance with or without fluid removal, and two intervals over which to achieve the desired clearance, intermittent or continuous. Thus, there are four general permutations for hemodialysis treatment. Intermittent hemodialysis, the most common, with a specified interval of solute clearance and fluid removal. Continuous renal replacement therapy, or CRRT, with continuous and gentle removal of solutes and fluid. Intermittent ultrafiltration with a short interval of fluid removal alone. And slow continuous ultrafiltration, or SCUF, with continuous slow fluid removal. Choosing from among these possibilities depends upon the patient's clinical need for solute or fluid removal and their hemodynamic stability. There are other approaches to hemodialysis, again beyond the scope of this podcast, that rely on further adjustment to these dialysis modalities. Also, the use of CRRT at Penn connotes a specific type of continuous dialysis, namely continuous venovenous hemodialysis, or CVVHD. Be aware that other types of CRRT exist and are often referenced in literature, such as CVVHDF or CAVHD. Dialysis Complications Before concluding this podcast, a cursory review of common hemodialysis complications will help prepare residents for problems they may encounter on the wards. These complications largely occur while the patient is on the dialysis circuit, but still may require management on the floor. Many patients experience hemodynamic instability with hemodialysis due to a number of factors, including the rate of ultrafiltration. Even absent ultrafiltration or volume removal, approximately 50% of patients have left ventricular dysfunction and hypotension. Since hemodialysis reduces cardiac preload and thus stroke volume, patients rely on a compensatory increase in heart rate and systemic vascular resistance to maintain their blood pressure. This response is blunted in patients with decreased cardiac function or in those with autonomic dysfunction, such as diabetics or those on beta blockers, who cannot mount a rapid sympathetic response. Hypotension is often treated by administering small boluses of normal saline, by increasing the time on dialysis, by reducing the ultrafiltration goal, or by decreasing the dose of vasodilatory medications, including hydralazine and calcium channel blockers. Additionally, clinicians should carefully titrate blood pressure medications during hemodialysis initiation. Since volume overload contributes significantly to hypertension and renal disease, increasing ultrafiltration over time may ultimately decrease or eliminate the need for antihypertensive medications. Finally, midodrin, a vasoconstrictive medication, may be initiated for patients refractory to these medications. Other less common side effects seen on the circuit include cramping, nausea, and vomiting, which can be treated with antiemetics and small boluses of normal saline. Recurrent cannulation of the patient's fistula or graft occasionally can cause aneurysm, bleeding, or soft tissue and endovascular infection. If these are suspected, vascular surgery should be urgently consulted. 
Patients on CRRT may also have a transient thrombocytopenia due to platelet activation and consumption by the dialyzer membrane. Finally, hemodialysis affects the clearance of many drugs. This is often corrected by dosing drugs post-dialysis or at less frequent intervals. While by no means an exhaustive list, clinicians should exercise caution and consult with pharmacy when using opiates, especially morphine, most antibiotics, especially vancomycin, penicillin, cephalosporins, and fluoroquinolones, antidepressants, and colchicine, among others. Conclusion To review, hemodialysis refers to the process by which solutes and fluid are removed from blood directly by means of a specialized membrane, or dialyzer, and a carefully crafted solution, or dialysate. Solute removal relies upon diffusion and convection, with the latter process providing a means for fluid or volume removal. While many types of renal replacement therapies exist, there are four general hemodialysis modalities. Selection among these modalities depends upon the desire for solute or fluid removal, or a combination, and whether the patient needs or can handle intermittent or continuous renal replacement. Regardless of the modality, all rely on blood flow, dialysate flow, and time to achieve their specific goals. Finally, patients on dialysis may have a number of complications, of which intradialytic hypotension is the most common. Returning to our patient, she initially presents with evidence of worsening uremia and volume overload. This represents final progression of her underlying renal disease and indicates her need for renal replacement therapy. Given her need for both solute and fluid removal, she was startled on both dialysis and ultrafiltration. The nephrologist prescribed a two-hour treatment for her first session to prevent excessive solute clearance and resultant dialysis disequilibrium. Additionally, he recommended only 500 milliliters of ultrafiltration to prevent large volume shifts during the first treatment. As the patient adapts to dialysis and subsequent treatments, he will recommend increasing session lengths to improve solute clearance and to achieve greater ultrafiltration. Thank you for listening to this PenPods podcast on hemodialysis.